0: We had the first one of them on easter the first three verses of this chapter talking about the resurrection Um, but we're jumping in in earnest today starting at verse four Um, stretch your imagination to imagine me as father kino and uh, you as the santa ver mission like if we were the first ones here as christians right Um, how how would the mission grow like we're the first christians show up in tucson the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and mercy in him, how would our little mission be likely to grow and spread? Um, You know, no one Googling Presbyterian church in Midtown, you know, um, nobody looking for a better amenitized church than the one they go to now uh, so they could be a little happier, no one feeling any obligation to come on Easter or Christmas. Just us with this message about Jesus and his grace, uh, here brand new. How would it grow? And then think about how would your answer to that question be different than what your expectations are for how this church is going to grow as it is. In other words, uh, are we just going to count on people who like this style or flavor of church finding us and then gathering together a club of people who... Uh, happen to like this brand or uh, do we want to see something happen like happened in the very early church where uh, a lot of people were coming brand new into the faith from unfamiliarity and even from hostility to the christian message uh, finding hope in jesus in a new way um, do you even think that's possible uh, anymore in the world that god could work and move in that way because the story of Acts is the story of a, a very small group of people uh, who were not peculiarly gifted or effervescent or anything else that God used to spread the hope of Jesus Christ in a way that ultimately turned the Roman Empire upside down and where, what, a third of the human beings that live on earth now claim the name of Jesus Christ. And what he did and how he did it then is not uh, radical or peculiar. It's really what he sets out to be the normal expectation for what the church is and what our mission is to be in the world now. Um, If you're like me, you find that hard to believe. And for me, it's hard to have hopeful expectations on that level, too. Um, But that's what we're going to read Acts and study it for, is because uh, it's the story of how God used people like us to actually advance the mission of Jesus in the world. And. We're going to talk about that today in one of the more uncomfortable parts of the Christian faith, which is, uh, to use the word from our text here, being a witness for Jesus Christ or evangelism or sharing your faith or proselytizing or whatever you want to call it, um, persuading and inviting other people to come into the faith, and I don't know when that's ever been a comfortable conversation, but I think it's an especially uncomfortable conversation for people who live in our day. Uh, It creates awkwardness on the part of the person speaking and awkwardness on the part of the person hearing. And it would be nice, in my mind, if we could have the Christian faith without this part of it. But it's not tangential to the faith. It's of the essence of what the church is and what it means to be a Christian on Jesus' mission in the world. So we're going to dig in and think about it a little bit and think about what he might do in this town through us. So let me pray for us and then we'll read the scripture. Okay. Father, please help us. Um You know the angst that we feel when we think about uh, proselytizing and uh, urging and inviting and persuading friends to trust in you. um, We feel like it should be natural to us, and yet it isn't. It's hard. And so I ask that you would open our hearts and minds to you. uh, Give us a way forward. Uh, Let us see you at work around us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I read with me the beginning of verse four. It says while uh, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said you've heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know times or seasons. That the Father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Do you remember Ned Ryerson? You probably do. Yeah, he was the insurance salesman in Groundhog Day uh, that Bill Murray kept meeting every morning. Um, Yeah, the person you dread to see, right? Here comes Ned, who will use any pretext of friendship that he has with you uh, to turn uh, the conversation into a pitch so he can sell you insurance, all right? And so day after day, Bill Murray has to figure out how to deal with this nuisance. Uh, First of all, he ignores him, tries to brush him off, uh, tries to be polite. Eventually, as his despair grows on him, he just walks up to Ned first thing in the morning and punches him in the face and walks on. Uh, which is what anyone would want to do. Finally, the new good, beautiful version of Bill Murray at the end of the movie, he just buys everything that's selling, signs up for it all immediately. But all of those approaches were just a way to deal with a nuisance, right? I just don't want to be bothered by this person who is turning our relationship such as it is into a pitch. If you think about it long, you feel a little bad for Ned too, because you know he sat through all kinds of seminars and read all kinds of books and listened to motivational tapes about selling and how to turn all of your friendships into uh, pitches, and feels terribly about how poorly he does selling insurance, and you know, so his life isn't very good either. It's hard to feel that sorry for him, but you know he doesn't want to be in the conversation any more than Bill Murray wants to be in the conversation. Nobody wants to have relationships that are just a pitch. Welcome to the world of Christian witnessing, right? Where all of our relationships, uh, I think we're told, it feels like we're told to turn into pitches. To treat people like we would never want to be treated ourselves because it's for an important cause and it matters. So you should do it. Um, So we all feel guilty as Christians. And... All of our friends feel nervous around us because they know eventually we are going to unburden ourselves of guilt one day and just explode on them with uh, some uh, well-rehearsed speech. And there's not a lot of beauty in that, and there's nobody very happy about it. The, uh, the witnesser and the witnessee would both rather be somewhere else most of the time. Christians feel obligated to it, though. And guilty that they don't say enough to their friends. Maybe I should be more courageous in what I say to my friends. But do you really want your friends to have to wrestle with being courageous as a part of your friendship with them? That feels so artificial. Right? Um, but boy, I've uh, knocked on doors and dorm rooms. Uh, never in a ways that I was really happy I had to try to have conversations with people I didn't know handed out surveys on what the equivalent of the mall here, you know, to try to, uh, as a pretense, we weren't ever tabulating survey results. We're just trying to uh, come up with some way that we can have a big conversation with someone about the Christian faith. And um, he bait and switch events. I don't know if you've ever been a part of that where you invite your friends to something that's ostensibly going to be fun, but then it turns into, oh, well, somebody while we're here, we're just going to stop and someone's going to give a lengthy testimony and give you an opportunity to convert. And, you know, do you wanna be invited to a bait and switch thing where it feels like all of your Christian friends still amway? I mean, it's all of that history and angst comes right to the front of my mind when this subject comes up at all. And um, I feel like I've broken the law of love in the name of the law of love. You know, treated people as I would not wish to be treated myself, but because the cause was important. and. You know, and you feel like you see it in the eyes of your friends. They don't want to be a mark. And they may not be disinterested in Jesus, but most people are pretty disinterested in being pitched. You know, I don't want to be pitched even for things that I want to buy. You know, I don't want the dude in the golf store to pitch a driver to me. Even if I'm there because I want to buy one. I don't want to be pitched. But then you've got these last words of Jesus. Before he ascends to the throne of the world, he tells his disciples, I want you to be my witnesses here in Jerusalem where you live, also in the whole of Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. That's your mission in the world as Christians, as the church, both individually and as a group. And it's especially true of you 11 who are like eyeball witnesses of the resurrection. You know They are authorized to speak for Jesus in a way the rest of us aren't. Um, because they saw firsthand, and he authorized them to speak. But Luke, who writes this book of Acts, is also being a witness for Jesus Christ. And down through the history, all the Christians and all the churches down to us know that this is our mission, that we're meant to be part of this spread of persuading people, inviting people to faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, So I want us to think through our angst and anxiety a little bit about the subject as we think about this passage together. Uh, First, of kind of how it affects us as a group, as a church, but then how it affects us individually in our friendships. First, the church. The church's mission is to be witness to Jesus Christ. It says, uh, in verse 6, they ask him this question, which is really not a great question. They still don't seem to understand much. It says, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And... uh, you know, you think at this point, post-resurrection, after three years with them, uh, they would be more clued in. But they're not. Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel at this point? And uh, first he says the timing's none of your business. Um, and he says that pretty clearly. Wouldn't it be nice if, if the church had listened to that <laughs> all through the years? It's not our business, God's timing with things. But the question is, you are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? And it feels like they're saying, are we going to have David 2.0? Is this going to be like it was when David was here, only better? Finally, we'll be vindicated and uh, we'll be justified and freed from the yoke of the Roman slavery. And uh, that we'll be the top dogs again, like we were and like we've been promised we'll be again. Is that what we're going to have, where me and mine get taken care of? Well, and Jesus says, you don't understand what I came to do. I didn't come to just vindicate Israel and give you a new version of Israel where you're more prosperous and less oppressed. Um, I came to turn the whole world back right side up. You know, this isn't just me uh, trying to take care of a small little group of Israel. It never was about that. You remember our Old Testament reading that Stephanie read before that um, said, I'm going to make you a blessing uh, so you can be a blessing to all the nations on earth. Your uh, calling to be loved and cared for by me and welcomed by me is not just so that we can have this relationship. It's so you can be my agents because I'm going to turn the whole broken world back right side up. And I'm going to do it through Abraham, through your family and Moses, through uh, through this nation that I'm starting through you, David, through this kingdom that you lead. But ultimately through Jesus. Right. This is your mission. It's an outward facing mission to go and spread the hope of Jesus Christ to the world. And Israel never seemed to get that at all, right? They always were internal focused. They always were thinking about themselves. They always wanted God's blessing to take care of them rather than than caring at all about their neighbors, the people around them. It was always selfish. And they never could really get over that. I'm blessed so that I can be blessed, not blessed so I can be a blessing. As uh, he said to them, and they became very tribal instead of being magnetic and uh, concerned and loving towards the people around them. They came tribal, uh, turned their faces in. So Jesus told his disciples here, now that the Messiah has come, now the resurrections happened, you're going to understand things, surely. But they don't. You're going to go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And as we read through the book of Acts, you'll see that they went to Jerusalem and Jerusalem. Right, they weren't about to go anywhere else. It took a persecution of the church in Jerusalem to get the church to move outward at all. Um, and eventually, uh, the the, the uh, apostles stayed, and the church members left and got dispersed. The apostles orig- eventually left, but they didn't go on their own initiative. They stayed in Jerusalem with uh, people of their own kind for a long time. But Jesus is calling them to go places that aren't comfortable for them. I mean, Jerusalem's not comfortable either. If you're going to speak as a witness, uh, persuading people in your own hometown, these are people who are like you, people who know you, uh, people who have a relationship with you that you could make super awkward if you have terrible conversations with them. And so there's a big reluctance at home to say much that might create tension in your relationships. But then you're supposed to go to Samaria with people who dead hate you, Right, And you're supposed to try to love them and be merciful to people who um, that you probably feel loathing for. And you're supposed to learn to be merciful to them like God has been merciful to you. And that's going to be hard. Or you go to the ends of the earth where you don't know the language and everything's different. And it looks impossibly difficult to think that you could be useful in seeing people embrace the Christian faith uh, when they've never heard of it before. At a great distance. So his commission's hard, and we usually just ignore it and become very tribal and stay with people who already are persuaded. So um, tribalism problem didn't end with them, though. Every church I've ever been in has been tribalistic. Uh, We're good trying to love and take care of each other, but we're terrible at reaching out to new people. Uh, Terrible at having friends outside the church, inwardly faced and kind of have a defensive posture towards people outside as if they pose some threat to us by disagreeing with us on some things. Um, and uh, because of that, I've been in a lot of churches that are sterile, that are not fruitful and useful or magnetic to anybody new coming into the faith. And a sterile church is a pointless church when it comes down to it. The central channel of our mission for Jesus is that we're going to go into the world ...as his witnesses uh, to pursue his mission. And if we don't do that, uh, we're something less than a church. I heard a story about a a cruise ship that was uh, sailing, if that's what cruise ships do, uh, near the site of an airplane crash. And they were called on to divert the crews over to the debris field of the airline crash to look and see if they could uh, find any survivors... And try to be of help in rescuing them. And apparently they didn't find any survivors. But I was thinking about being on a cruise ship uh, when you're told over the intercom, okay, we're going to divert from our cruise to go to the debris field of this airline crash and see if we can be of help. Where you have people who are just inundated with food and booze and amusement and. Each other and uh, all the things that a cruise entails. The change of mindset that would happen when you realize now we're going to go towards a debris field and try to be helpful in a rescue mission. I don't know about you. I would think this is the greatest cruise ever all of a sudden, right? My walking despair on the decks of this cruise has now changed into humanness. And we're actually going to engage in real life somehow. I don't, I don't really like cruises. But um, the idea of and now instead of being a self-indulgent cruise ship, uh, we're going to be a part of a search and rescue mission would thrill me no end, right? That would be the best cruise ever. Um, I want us to turn towards the debris field as a church before we calcify into a cruise ship for religious people here. Um, There are already plenty of churches that you could go to if you just want amenities and i know you don't go here for amenities because we don't have them (laughs) so i trust your motives pretty well but uh but i don't want us to become that and i think we could i think we could probably gather enough uh, enough people to sustain the enterprise that we liked and just have a little club for people like us if we wanted to i don't want to do that um i didn't move all the way to the desert to do that (laughs) right um and I've done that for too long. But as a church, turning toward the debris field means everything we do is colored by this sense of mission. That we're not just here for ourselves. We exist for the people in our neighborhoods. The people who live around us, we're here for them. So when we come to worship, it's not just our little time together with just us. But we're called to worship in the Psalms over and over with statements like, uh, Praise the Lord all nations. Extol him, all peoples, for great is his steadfast love to us. Declare his glory among the nations is our call to worship. So we, when we worship, we want to be wide open to do what we do before the nations so our friends could come here. Understand what we're saying if we try hard to be intelligible and feel welcomed and loved. And not feel like this is just a clique that's really uh, difficult to break into if you don't already know all the, the secret handshakes and passwords and things. Um, a place where... Outsiders are not demonized and feared, but a place where outsiders are respected and loved. And I think that's pretty hard to do. When we do mercy ministry, uh, we don't do mercy ministry just to feel good about ourselves, but we put Jesus' healing on display uh, because we're advocating for him and saying, look, we've received mercy like this from Jesus, and you can too. Uh, We're always having an eye to new people Coming into the faith, uh, his mercy being extended to new people. We talk about having a tight community of people that really love each other, which is a big, important part of a church, too. It's never just an internal dynamic of inside community. It's always meant to be open and welcoming to new people coming in, including people, Uh, not telling the inside jokes all the time, not expecting people to already agree with everything we think about theology or politics. But listening to people, welcoming people, that which sounds kind of obvious as normal, hospitable kindness to other people, but which the church is traditionally pretty bad at. And I want us to be that. Um, just learning how to talk in a way that isn't off-putting to people if they aren't in your club is a big step forward for us, right? Not just assuming someone shares your politics. Not just uh, assuming... That people who don't agree with you are stupid are talking as if the people who don't agree with you are stupid. Building straw man arguments, making fun of people who don't believe, making fun of people in other religions. Those kind of things are easily habitual for us, and they're deadly sterile. So um, I'm trying to learn how to do this, and I feel like a rookie. So, and I mean, think how far I've come. The, uh, I'm kidding, you know, but I want us to learn this together. I feel like that's the reason a lot of you are here. Is because you want to be in that kind of church. But we're going to have to figure out how to be that kind of church. But ever since God spoke to Abraham about this, all the way through Jesus' commission to his disciples before he ascended, and ever since, God has used people with gifts no better than our gifts and with ambition no greater than our ambition, with love as weak as our love, to cause Jesus' fame to spread in the world. And uh, there's no reason he can't use us. The same Holy Spirit that he gave to his apostles uh, in Acts chapter 1, uh, he has given to us in the church. And he's willing to use people like us. He really is. So um, that's kind of, as a group, think individually a little bit with me too now about our mission as Christians to be a witness to Jesus. And let's talk a little bit about our reluctance in that. I feel a lot of reluctance. I would prefer, I think, a Christianity where I didn't have to worry about or feel any duty towards my neighbors, where I just have some special relationship with Jesus to enjoy, and I don't have to care about anybody else. Um, I would like that a lot better. But we're asked to invite and persuade people into the faith, and, um, and it's, I don't know that it ever can be completely comfortable. Um, but when you think about what we're asked to do, he uses the term witness, which I grew up in southern church, and so witness always is a weird-sounding word to me. Like, let's go do some witnessing, and I think, ugh, and I don't want to, right? But when we use it as a courtroom term, we don't feel that awkward about it. When someone is a witness in court, they, do what, they tell what they know and what they experience, right? And that doesn't seem too awkward to me. But you have problems with witnesses. Sometimes, even in the courtroom sense, like sometimes witnesses are scared to testify right? because they they fear danger coming to them if they testify and the church doesn't have a witness protection program. So if there's danger in it, you're going to bear the danger. Um, but boy, there's not much danger for us. I mean, somebody might uh, not like you as much as they did before. If you open your heart to them about what you believe, that's not that painful. Really, you know, you might you might risk a friendship here and there, but I don't I don't know. I mean, I think you risk your friendships if you have friends with whom you're not willing to share the deepest thing in your life. You know, I want to be friends with you, but I'm not going to tell you the most important thing in my life and how I suss out every problem that I have and where I find my joy or any of those things. We're just going to be friends otherwise on some superficial level. I don't mind risking that friendship anyway, because it doesn't sound like a very deep one. If you're going to be friends with somebody, you share your heart with them. And if you're not pitching them, people, I think, are pretty remarkably willing to listen to you talk about how you sort things out in your life. Um, So if you're scared, uh, you know, you've got the Holy Spirit to try to help you be less scared. Um, But I think a lot of times what we're scared of is uh, what Salespeople in retail outlets are scared of, which is I'm going to give my pitch and they're going to say no. And if you have friends and you're sharing your life and your heart with your friends, um, most of the time, that's not going to break your friendships. Other which, sometimes you have a compromised witness. You know, are we supposed to take the word of this admitted liar and dope fiend uh, in this case, and this testimony? And... You know, and that, if you're in a criminal trial, it's, it's not good to have a compromised witness. For Christians, it's the best thing in the world to have a compromised witness. Are you going to take the word of this liar and dope fiend about how liars and dope fiends can find mercy? Well, yeah, I am. <laughs> like, who else knows about that? The right? think this uh, stops is a lot of times you think, well, maybe the best thing for the Christian enterprise would be for me to shut up and let the good Christians talk. And so I think most everybody shuts up on that theory. But what are we witnesses to? I have an awesome life. Jesus makes it even awesomer. You should trust him like I do. It's not our witness. Our witness is I have no hope morally and spiritually except through what Jesus Christ has done for me. And so if there's hope for me, there's hope for you. It's usually, I think I can say this, usually it's your failure and your weakness that makes you effective as a witness to the mercy of Jesus. More than your success makes you a capable witness. Because what you're saying is there's hope for people like me. Not there's congratulations from God for people like me. There's hope for people like me. So being a compromised witness isn't all that bad when the Holy Spirit Comes on them so that they can be witnesses. What doesn't happen is that they become superheroes of Christianity and say, Now I'm super eloquent. I know the answer to every objection to the faith. And I have tremendous love and I'm effervescent. And it's just amazing. People come up to me all the time and say, What do you have that I don't have because I need it? That's not what happens. What the Holy Spirit does is He shows you your need of Jesus and gives you courage. And He fills empty vessels, He fills empty buckets so other people can drink from them. He doesn't make you super Christian. And so there's hope for you even as a compromised witness. Also, you're asked to be a witness, not asked to be a lawyer. That is, you're not, you're not, you don't have to prove the case. You're supposed to tell, this is why I find this persuasive, and this is how I've experienced it. That's what witnesses do, right? Um, they're not supposed to just offer a bunch of information. Otherwise, let the lawyers be the lawyers. Um, we're witnesses. So we tell what we've experienced. Someone asked you, how did you meet your husband? Do you think, oh, wait, I know this. I've been waiting to tell someone this. I had an outline. Let's see. Point one. What was it? Oh, I hope I say this right. I hope I say this right. You just tell them, right? This is how I met. This is how we met. Um, You don't have to have an outline or notes. As a witness, as a Christian, it really is similar to that. You say, this is how I experienced life as a Christian. You know, you don't have to have a script for that. I don't think. You just notice. Look, this is this is how I notice my life being inexplicably uh, different than what it usually is. Like for me, I talk about despair a lot with people because everyone likes to talk about despair. The uh, but for me, the Christian faith, the big deal about it. The of the faith is despair because I, I've I've just never been able to live with the sense of uh, being jolly and happy and not thinking hard about things and. Just kind of being indifferent to big questions about life and all. And for me, like if Jesus hasn't really risen from the dead and there isn't Christian faith, then I'm, I'm like real close to uh, despair of my life. And a lot of people in my family have fallen on that side of despair. And when I find myself having a genuine hope in my life, I think that's just not natural to me. Uh, this is something Jesus has done in my life that I deeply appreciate. Um, I don't need a script for that I don't say it the same way every time or something I I love people in a way That is totally unnatural to me I mean my dream In any weak moment is to get on a sailboat And go away from everyone except Julie Um, She can come But I mean that's my Natural bent. and yet I find my my Life filled with friends that I love And I find my heart going out To people a lot of times and I know it's Not natural I know that this is a difference that Jesus is making in my life. And um, to talk about that is not that crazy with people. And it also doesn't require me to be the world-known expert on every objection to the faith. So you're, you're not, you don't have to be a lawyer. You have to be a witness. Um, and you're a witness, not a marketer, which I hope not only takes pressure off you, but causes you to treat people better. Um, you're supposed to love people, not use people. And if you're using somebody to make you feel better because you felt guilty about not sharing your faith for a long time, you're not doing much good, I would say. Treat people as you want to be treated. I think Jesus said that, right? So that's good advice. This means you're going to have to have margin in your life for friendships, which some of you have and some of you don't, I know. Um, Some of you are overloaded with social obligation and you feel in arrears already. But Christians are called to keep margin in their life so that they can have friendships with people outside the faith and not just be cloistered up all the time in the silo with the Christians. Um, And that's hard. Enter people's lives. Learn how to love and respect people that don't agree with you all the time or think just like you think. Learn to read what your neighbors read that um, isn't just a Christian book. Listen to the music they listen to. Watch the shows they watch so that you'll have something to talk about. And if they play pickleball, go play pickleball, whatever that is. right? But uh, have some margin to care about your neighbor. We're called to this as Christians in our mission. And be hospitable. Boy, I think in Tucson, where people live such isolated lives behind the walls and things, hospitality could just be a wonderful gift we give to this community. Having people over... Into our homes, eat at our tables. You know, you don't have to have a fancy setup to do that. You've got a table. So, I guess there are bachelors here, I shouldn't presume, college students anyway. But, you know, let people into your life on a deeper than superficial level. That's often how Jesus draws people into the faith, by letting them see a real Christian really living life down to the bottom. And your kids, this is a tricky thing if you're raising kids in the church, because our instincts with our kids is very protective, right? I don't want my kids to be damaged by bad influences. And there's surely something to be said for that. But what Christians are called to do is to train their kids for this mission, Jesus' mission in the world. And keeping them separated from anybody that disagrees with them or that's not a Christian is a... Not the best training for this mission, let's just say. At some point, our kids are going to have to learn how to love and respect people who disagree with them, who are smarter than them, who are better people than them, and still make a case for the faith. And one option is to not ever let them try that until they're freshmen. I don't recommend that option. (laughs) The other option is for them to see you model that in your home and uh, to learn how to to love non-Christians while they still live with you. And to say, yeah, it was pretty common at our house for people to be around the table who didn't agree with us about the faith. I think the bigger danger for kids who grow up in a church like ours is that they would become the self-righteous, sterile, loathing people that their parents are and never learn how to love anybody else. And uh, that's probably over-harsh. It's just what scares me to death. About my kids and kids that I love, I feel like the big social danger to children who are in churches I've ever been in is me, uh, not Jimmy down the street who cusses sometimes. You know. So, all right, let's not be a cruise ship for religious amenities, please. Jesus uses the church to turn the world back right side up. He always has, such as the church is as lousy as the church is. He always has used the church. And his mission to set the world back right side up. So will you pray with me about this, that God would open doors for us and friendships? Will you take some chances and have an awkward conversation if you need to and try not to be so awkward? Um, Open yourself to his mission. I want to see what he's willing to do in Midtown. I want to see what he's willing to do in the lives of your friends in Midtown. I want pray.